Hi friends, I'm Olivia. And I'm Katie. And we are Podcast by Proxy. Welcome. We're live. Live on the air. Live. Live. Hey. Hi. So we just hit record because we were about to start talking about case suggestions and I was like, we should just talk about this while we are talking to everyone else. Um, I just wanted to say thank you so much again to everyone for all the case suggestions you've been sending in. I just see right now that there's another one um, with a local case in our inbox and the case I'm covering today was also sent in by a listener, Stacy, who sent me multiple suggestions. Um, Keep those coming. Email podcastbyproxy at gmail.com. Our Instagram is at podcastbyproxy. You can just send us a DM if you want to. Um, we do have the case suggestions link as well, but nobody seems to use that. So for whatever reason, if you'd prefer to no. just send us a message, go for it because I'm loving the suggestions. Um, yeah. Yeah. Same. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, I'm pretty sure... Uh, the most recent suggestion you just got with minimal information. I believe my mom knows a lot about that one. Like, may I actually have some personal connection. Could we maybe have her on the show? Would Let she... me see. I would I can love ask it her later. if your mom came on the show as our first official guest. No, I guess we had the boys. We had the boys. We did have the boys, but, you know, they really didn't say much. But this They're... would be like our first... This would be like a... Tr- like a a true crime guest somebody who's like worked yeah. in the true crime space um and has some actual first-hand knowledge to share so that would be really awesome if we could get mama on board okay i'll see what i can do i have a funny Pull story mama that I, strings. Want, I wanted to tell you this earlier and then i forgot and then i don't know i just figure i might as well tell everybody else while i'm telling Love. you okay so I, you know this, but I don't know if I've shared this on the podcast. I'm not really shy about it. I don't care. I get a little bit of Botox in my forehead about once every six months. I started like last Nothing year. Nothing to be ashamed of. No, I get quite a deep line. Like uh, my natural uh, thinking face is a frown. So I just naturally a big one. furrow my brows and I get this very large <gasps> wrinkle between my like eyebrows and then... Today, I asked for a little bit more, like, up my forehead just to kind of deal with those lines that we get there. Anyway, long story short, I went in for a touch-up today, and as she was, like, squeezing between my eyebrows to do the first one there, she goes, oops, sorry. (laughs) Can you not do that when you're stabbing me in the face? Pardon? Yeah. (laughs) So it turns out it's You're just because like, I was... hold, please. It turns out it's just because I bled. Like, she stuck it in and I started bleeding, which is pretty normal. Um, but yeah, I was just like, what do you Gotta bleed her, people. Oops, sorry. Very <laughs> unnerving when you're getting stabbed in the face with, like, stuff that basically uh, paralyzes your muscles. Yes. I don't want to hear oops, right sorry. near your eyes. Yeah, I don't want to hear oops, sorry. Can you imagine you come out of there with just, like, a saggy eyelid? Just because anyway. it's like... Yeah. All's good in the hood. Again, you just admitted your Botox. This is the one time where I'm okay with a little Photoshop. I have right. one huge deep line, like a smile line, and one mm. is 
10 times worse than the other. So unfortunately, makeup settles in it and it looks worse. And I can't, I've yet to figure out the perfect makeup solution or whatever to cover it or make it look even. So I let Olivia airbrush that thing out if she wants. And you know what? At first I didn't ask. She just said she did it. And I loved the look. So I was like, you do you, girl. I did that because one time I didn't and you texted me and was like, I hate it. I can see my smile line. And like, I thought it was the most gorgeous picture of both of us ever. So I was like, okay, fine. I'm going to start photoshopping your face then. (laughs) How many face? Like one line. It's literally just your one little line. I bet you. You can even just take the other one and mirror it and cover it so they match. You don't even have to take them away. I don't care. They're smiling. Yeah, by the way, for everyone listening to this, like, I'm not a, I'm not Obviously, I am for doing whatever you want to do to make yourself feel the best. 100%. Uh, I don't feel like everyone needs Botox. It's just a personal preference of mine. Um, if you have smile lines and you love them, like you go Glen Coco, I have really no, no preference whatsoever or like opinion on that. It's just like personal. Uh, I like you, the right one. You could potentially get that filled though. Like if it was really something that yeah. you were concerned about, you could get filler and I'm sure it would... I was looking into it right before COVID. Right. Yeah. COVID kind of dampened the everyone's... uh, The in-person market. Those (laughs) in-person relationships. It's probably open again now, though. But yeah, anyway, we're we're not supposed to be talking about uh, cosmetics, so... No, but this is our life, and you know what? My dad made a good point the other day. He's like, when COVID managed and... At a sustainable point. When COVID's the what endemic. What are people going to talk about? Yeah, when it becomes the endemic that it is, we're not yeah. eradicating COVID. It's just going to become part no. of our lives. Like the flu, that's a reality. Like It's going to be ch- like chicken pox. Yeah. It's still around. Yep. We just know how to manage it now. <laughs> yeah, what is everyone going to talk about? What is the internet going to post about? Are we going to go back to just like hating on celebrities? Because I don't think that's the answer. I don't think that's it. No, I don't think hating on anybody is the answer. That's it. We're shutting down the internet. On our actually, you know what, guys? On our most recent post, whatever it is, can you go and just comment like the one good thing you think came out of the pandemic? Because I would really rather hear about the positive stuff that's come out of it. Um, yeah, I, I mean, know I... that my boyfriend is like obsessed with the direction arrows in the grocery store, and he never wants those to leave. <sighs> those are just good oh organizing. God. Is that what he oh, thinks? God. It's he just loves good, like, them. people management? 100%. That's hilarious. I mean, for me personally, I, I, I mean, first of all, I don't talk about uh, the C word or anything like that ever yeah. with anyone. It's just a, a topic that I prefer to avoid. Um, the second one would be positive thing to come out of the pandemic for me would be, like, not going out as much. I feel like I've become such a homebody, which saves me so much money and so much uh like mental energy i guess would be the right word i just feel like i'm way more easier easier able to relax and say no i don't i used to be such a yes 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 person i could not say no you felt obligated yeah yeah and i would yeah i would overextend myself i would be miserable because i would go from like hangout to hangout because i felt bad saying no if somebody wanted to do something um, and I really don't have that anymore. Like I have no problem saying, nope, I don't want to go. So I feel like for me, that is something that came out of the pandemic. That's like very positive in my life. I have better boundaries. Agreed. I love that for you. Yeah. 
So I guess we can just get into... Let's talk to it. Yeah, we can get into the uh, the show of the day, if you will. Today we are talking about the case of Helen Nasland. If you are Canadian, specifically if you live in Alberta, you may have seen Helen's name in the news recently as she uh, has recently been in the process of appeals and so her name is quite, uh, it's all over the place, especially Present. in Alberta. Yeah, which is how this case came Is she in related my lap. to Marcus Nasland? I don't know. I didn't look into that. I that would be unsure. kind of crazy. That would be crazy. Uh, well, probably not because Nasland is her married name, but I I didn't even think she to look ma- to oh. see if uh, her her husband was. So that might be something Katie and I are going to have to look into. Stay tuned. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Helen was born Helen Doris Speed in 1964, and she grew up on her family's dairy farm in central Alberta. She was the youngest of eight children, and her classmates growing up described remembering Helen as quiet and hardworking. She left home at the age of 16, and she moved to a town in Alberta called Camrose. Uh, It was in Camrose that Helen met Miles Nasland, and within a few months, the two had moved in together. The couple married uh, by 1983 when Helen was just 19 and Miles was 21, and two years later they settled into the farmhouse just outside of Holden, Alberta, where they would spend the next 26 years together. The couple had three sons between the years of 1984 and 1992. They had son Wesley in 84, Daryl in 88, and Neil, uh, the youngest, was born in 1992. I like all the names they chose. Agreed. They did choose good names for their kids. Daryl's my dad's name, so love that. And the other two are just names that I really like. So, yeah, great kids. Names. I've always liked the name Wesley. Me too. Especially because like, I also like the name Wes. So I think it's just it's a good whole all-around name. Yeah. yeah. So, for context... Shout out to anyone named Wesley. <laughs> I know a few really good Wes's, too. <sighs> Never met a Brad I didn't like. <laughs> that too, yeah. We love we love a good Brad. <laughs> we we hate a bad Brad, but we love a good Brad. We've never met a bad Brad. <laughs> we've talked about a bad Brad though. We have. Yeah, we've had a bad Brad. Which on the a show. good Brad recommended, so <laughs> it's a whole Brad trifecta. <laughs> it is, it really is. So we should just make merch shirts that say Brad on them. <laughs> like Brad. Can we please? Yeah. I have sure. just a so complete sidebar. I was in a... Um, what else is new? Yeah, right? We just cannot stay on topic lately, which is just, you know, if you just get over it, Let us it, know if I you guess. hate it. It is what it is, because sometimes yeah. I just have stuff to tell Katie, and I want you to hear it, too. But if you hate it, let us know, because I can cut her out. Yeah, that's true. She can still tell me. I feel like we don't sidebar as much as we used to, so it's all right. No. Um, I was in like a career kind of seminar the other day, and they were, it was about leadership, and they were talking about like, think of all of the past leaders and supervisors that you've had in your career, and you know, whatever ones you really resonated (laughs) with or you loved a lot, like you want to emulate their traits and the things that they did uh when you're leading and like you know i have one 
one person in mind and that's ding, it. Ding, ding, There's ding, only ding, 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 one Brad in my brain that I'm going to try and be like as a leader. There's only one. So anyway. Uh, stud muffin. <laughs> in so many ways. Okay. So for context, Holden, Alberta is considered a village in Alberta. It's not a small town. It's not even a town. It is a village. That's how small it is. Uh, It's located south of Vegreville and about an hour drive southwest of Edmonton. The village is named after former Alberta MLA James Holden. And in 2016, so just like, what, six, seven years ago, the a village skip and a jump ago. <laughs> the village had a total population of 350 people. <laughs> That's it. Do they have electricity? <laughs> yes, they are not Amish. They have like a skating rink and they do have like it's a cu- it's a cute Of course you village. know that they have a skating rink. That's what you know? Yeah, I saw do that they have, they have an arena. Their <laughs> slogan, this little village's slogan is share the charm of country living. I agree. So this is like very rural, very remote, very small, like farming community. Everybody knows everybody. From the beginning, from the beginning, the marriage between Helen and Miles was unhappy and Helen frequently was the subject of physical and emotional abuse. So this was not happy from the start. Unhappy Helen. Okay. When Helen and Miles first married, the economy in Alberta was really not doing well. They had high interest rates and few jobs. They, the couple struggled to manage the family farm finances from the start and money was a frequent stressor. Um, They had like over 3,000 acres of land and 50 head of cattle. So on top of the finances, the farm itself was just like endless work and there was a ton of stress associated with this farm. Well, and I'm, I used to spend like quite a bit of time as a kid because we lived next to a dairy farm. So when I was a kid, I used to always want to go and like feed the baby cows and play with them and stuff. And I can only imagine having firsthand experience walking through a dairy farm, how much it costs to run a farm. Yeah. On a day-to-day basis, not cows even are... monthly or weekly, day-to-day. Cows are not cheap to feed, can confirm, have fed a lot of them myself. Big animal, big stomach. Yeah. Miles was also a drinker. Uh, He would often drink to the point of passing out and would become volatile when he was drunk. Their eldest son, Wesley, told news outlets that things were never great between his mom and dad. And he still remembers, he remembers Helen as being joyful and happy when uh, he was a small child. She loved barrel racing and had been competing since she was a young girl, but he eventually says that that stopped. Um, She stopped competing. She got rid of her horses and basically just had to work full-time on the farm, and he just noticed that she was a lot unhappier as he got older. Yeah. He also noticed as he got older that social visits to their house kind of stopped happening. Like, neighbors no longer were stopping by. And even his grandparents, so Helen's mom and dad, were kind of only coming over, like, once a year. He just, like, really noticed that people, it seemed like people were avoiding So, like, they'd come by, like, Christmas and that was it kind of thing? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. A neighbor, yeah, a neighbor of theirs confirmed Wes's assumptions, saying that their kids were forbidden from going to the Naslin farm because of Miles's behavior. 
So it was like that's that embarrassing family for those kids too. Oh yeah, my like gosh. you know when you're a kid, I'm sure everyone's had that where their mom was like, "Oh no, you're not allowed to go there because of their parents or whatever." I mean, I can only imagine my mom never, because obviously she couldn't tell me, but I'm sure as a probation officer, there was one or two people. She was like, oh, you're definitely not going there. Right. (laughs) Yeah. As he drank more, Miles would become more violent and belligerent, especially with Helen. Um, Wes describes how his dad bought a 357 Magnum when he was in elementary school, and he would just keep it loaded on the coffee table beside his recliner chair. He said if somebody said something to piss him off, he would just sit there and play with the loaded gun. And he said he regularly pointed it at, at Helen and all three of the kids. Oh, that yeah. is mortifying. Yeah. Just sitting in your recliner chair playing with your loaded Magnum. Oh. So basically every single person that lives in your house is constantly... Living in a state of, like, if I don't comply, I'm going to get shot. That is terrifying. Terrifying. Also, for anyone hearing weird noise in the background, it's Frankie dreaming right beside me. Yeah, we can't wake the, we can't wake the baby up. I, I'm not waking the beast. They're both sleeping on either side of me, and I don't dare to move. That's fair. Yeah. So to kind of paint a picture of what it was like growing up with Miles as a father... On one occasion, he made Wes chop willow trees as punishment for getting in trouble at school. And if he paused from chopping, Miles would la- uh, lash him with a bullwhip. Oh, yeah. God, it's so weird that there's all this like rodeo and cattle talk because one of our new case recommendations was a rodeo person. So yes. this is interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Another time, oh. Wes says that he accidentally drove an old truck into a ditch on the family farm, and with him was his younger brother, Neil, whose head smashed into the windshield when they crashed. So when Miles saw the wreck, he grabbed Wes's head and shoved it into the truck's window until the glass cracked, like until there was a noticeable depression in the truck's glass. Yes. Wes Wes also said that he often saw Miles punch Helen in the chest or the shoulder or knock her to the ground. Sometimes he grabbed her by the arm and, like, did the whole twist it behind her back to, like, maneuver her into another room. He -hmm. says that his mom was battered for as long as he can remember. Oh, my God. That poor woman. Even though Miles was abusive physically to Helen, Wes says that the psychological abuse she received was far worse. Miles frequently threatened her life over things as small as what she made for dinner. Um, Like, meals absolutely had to be pre-approved by him. And if they weren't, he would just, like, clear the whole table of everything. Uh, Just completely erratic and volatile. By the time Wes was a teenager, he says that Helen had tried to take her own life several times. Uh, On one occasion, Miles picked a large fight with her. And after she got drunk, took a bunch of pills and walked out into an Alberta blizzard. Miles then woke Wes out of a sleep and they searched the fields until they found her. Oh my god. Yeah. Brutal. 
Another time, Wes said when he was old enough to drive, he agreed to drive his mom into town to, like, help her get away. She was going to escape, get a hotel, try and get away from this. Yes, exactly. At the very last minute, Miles called Helen back into the house, pulled her into the bedroom, and when she came out, her words to Wes were, quote, I'm sorry, I can't go. He will find me and kill me. Yeah. What an uncomfortable situation, too, for these children because they love their mom so much and they want to do everything for her, but that's also their dad and they can see how terrified she is and probably know better than anyone how serious these threats are. Yeah. Yeah, and like, apparently he, too, would get really drunk and then threaten his own life. Like, it was just so, you know. I feel like, okay. A lot. (laughs) Wes said he believes his mom stayed with Miles when he was young because she was scared to leave with her children and also scared to leave them behind. Like, kind of like, what am I supposed 100%. to do? I can't, I don't, I'm too scared to leave with them and I'm too scared to leave them there. Well, because, yeah, what if she leaves them and then he takes it out on the children? That's mm-hmm. too risky. Yeah, and what if she takes them and he comes after all of them? So, yeah. Well, or they all leave together and she can't take care of them and they have to go back. That's yeah. going to be even worse. Yeah. So... By the time they were older, he says he believes Helen was too broken to fight anymore. Yeah. That was Helen's reality. Sorry? He just, like, broke her down to nothing. Yeah. That was Helen's reality for 26 years leading up to the events that occurred in September of 2011. It was Labor Day long weekend, and this weekend was especially important to the family's farming finances. Um, I guess, like, two months of the year basically determined whether the farm was going to make enough money to survive the year or not and this weekend particularly was incredibly important Mm -hmm. the stress levels in the family going into the long weekend were high Uh, they were already struggling to cover their debts and at that point they were at risk of losing their cattle and sheep farm Jesus yeah so they were you know the, the whole vibe of the family going into that weekend was of course extremely tense the stress levels Mm -hmm. were beyond helen came home saw a little like interview Mm -hmm. thing sorry i was just gonna tell you really quickly just in terms of like in their shoes i watched an interview the other night there was a couple in like northern bc that lost their entire farm to wildfires and just explaining really everything that they had lost and it was not even just the small amount of actual livestock that was unfortunately lost in it. It was everything else around it and all the infrastructure on the property. Like, yeah. once you take all that away, you just can't start to rebuild a farm from nowhere. Yeah. Like, it's just not possible. Once you lose it, you lose it. Yeah. Helen came home on Saturday, September 3rd from her job as the manager of an equipment rental shop at A1 Rentals. And Miles was drunk. Oh. Miles, at this okay. point, was considered, like, a self-employed farmer, basically. Um, he had spent the day giving Neil orders while carrying around a gun. Super hard worker. Wonderful. Yeah. yeah. Sounds like a... Just, yeah, I think well. we can all picture how that went. Um, so Helen, of course, got home, and he basically told her to get to work finishing the rest of the farm work for the day because it wasn't done. While she was out doing this, the tractor that was used to pull the haybine machine broke down. 
Miles found out that the tractor broke and that work was going to be stopped as a result. And he flew into such a rage. He was like hurling wrenches and tools at Helen and just absolutely losing his shit. Ballistic, it sounds like. Yeah. Yeah. So Helen goes inside to like wait for him to try and fix the tractor. Basically, he's outside. He's going to try and fix it. She's like, I'm going to go inside and make dinner for everyone. And... Miles returns from the field and he tells her that she's going to pay dearly for the tractor damage. And then when he sees the table set, like fully set with food on it, he cleared the entire table and declared that the dinner that she had made was unfit for a dog. So was it not an approved meal by him, I guess? Or was he just that mad that even though it was approved, he was pissed? I mean, maybe all of the above. I have no idea, but okay. I don't think there's I mean, an excuse guy's an for clearing an entire fully set table of food. Never. Just shut Never up at all. and eat the damn dinner. Well. Shut that up. That sounds like a cunt. Yeah. So, that happened. Uh... He was essentially erratic like that for the rest of the evening. He only calmed down that evening when he passed out face first in bed drunk in his underwear. So that was not a fun night for anyone. I can only imagine that the second he passes out, that feeling of relief she has, though, every night. Yeah, so this time, early that morning or late that night, however you want to look at it, some people consider, like, the whole 3 3 a.m. the next day still being the night before. I don't know. Depends if I've gone to bed or not. Yeah. Miles is passed out, of course. This has all gone on. Helen goes and grabs a twenty two caliber revolver that was in a cabinet in the farmhouse. She walked back into the room, pointed the gun at the back of Miles's head while he was sleeping, and she fired two rounds. The twenty six self defense. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, yeah. The 26 years that she had endured at that point of countless violence and alcohol-fueled fits of rage, um, often being threatened with a gun, were over. That poor baby. And we will come back to the whole self-defense thing because, you know, you can say it's not self-defense, but at the same time, she may have never felt that she had... I don't know. Anyway. Oh, no, I'm just saying in the eyes of the law, that's not going to be self-defense. I agree. For longevity of life, could be seen as self-defense from her. Yeah, I'm like, we'll we'll go go into that in a little bit. At this point, Helen went downstairs to where her son Daryl and Neil were asleep. Wes didn't live there anymore. He had kind of like moved on, got married, started his own life. She wakes up her youngest son, Neil, and then had him help her drag Miles' body outside. The next day, they placed a grocery bag over his head and they forced the body into a large metal toolbox. Like, the kind that fits on the bed of a pickup truck. Yeah, yeah. They drilled holes in the side of the toolbox, then they added tractor weights into it and welded it shut. Neil and Helen then dragged the box and the two guns, so the 357 Magnum and the 22 revolver that was used to kill Miles, to a, like, pond swampy area that was a few miles from the farmhouse, and they dumped it in the water. 
Helen then okay, borrowed. I could see why they did that then with all the weight to try to get it to go down into like the goopy sludge and go like completely disappear almost. I, exactly. Okay. exactly. It sounded weird at first, but now I get it. Yeah. Helen then borrowed an excavator from her job and used it to crush and bury Miles' 1998 gold Chevy Cavalier behind a shop on the farm's property. <laughs> yep. She also pulled the rug, mattress, and bedding from the bedroom and burned them all uh, and then cleaned the room. Wes, of course, was not living at home anymore at the time of the incident, but he said that that Helen then came over with Daryl and Neil the next day and they told him what happened. And basically the family vowed to keep this a secret and consider Miles a missing person. I don't blame them. So they made a pact. Yeah, I I don't condone what they did. But I yeah. see why they did it again. This is always my stance on a lot of these things. Yeah. So Miles is reported missing to police by Helen on Tuesday, September 6, 2011. She told police that he left his car to check on another part of the farm and never returned. The story she told implied that he may have taken his own life. Uh, She said that two guns were taken with him, but not his phone or his wallet. So she's obviously setting up because... She's setting the scene. Right, because the guns aren't there anymore. The car is gone. um, Yada, yada. She gave formal statements to police again in November of 2012 and March of 2013. And her story did not change Miles had simply left one day, never came back, and it always suggested that he may have taken his own life. Wow. Okay. Well, I mean, if it's never changing, that, I mean, I would start to believe her more. Good job, girl. <laughs> yeah. So they, the whole family said that the family had rented a backhoe from A1 Rentals that day to fix a hydrant on the farm. And all three of the family members also provided the names of a group of individuals who had assaulted Miles a few years before as one possible cause for his disappearance. Um, so they're sending the RCMP on a bit of a goose chase at this point because the RCMP spent like a considerable amount of time and resources investigating all of this information. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I don't doubt that they did. So you Thank can you imagine your due diligence. <laughs> that they weren't super jazzed uh, when they found out it was all a ruse. According no, to court no. documents, during the years following Miles' death, Helen would from time to time like call and express concern with the lack of progress with regards to the disappearance and would criticize the RCMP, suggesting that their investigation was insufficient in locating Miles. This bitch is bold. Bold. She is very well playing into, though, that I don't mean to keep praising this lady, but I just mean we make fun of people for making these such simple, stupid mistakes. Right. But this girl's bold moves are definitely going to lend in her favor to her storyline or narrative she's trying to tell where, you know, the car is gone. He's gone. The guns are gone. The items are there. Yeah. You know, like she's really... Yeah, this, laying it on thick. Yeah, I mean, it resulted in, of course, further investigation, though, including interviews with Miles' extended family, friends, co-workers. I mean, they search rural areas both near the house and in northern Alberta for his body and the car. 
So, yeah, there was considerable manpower and time by the RCMP put into this investigation, basically just based on tips that Helen herself was giving them. Lovely. I... Helen, really putting them on a wild goose chase here. Yeah. Mother Goose Helen. I'm not a huge fan of wasting the RCMP's time, so I don't condone this part. But I do understand that she's trying to, I think some, Wes oh, said. Oh, no, I'm saying from a point of, like, I appreciate yeah. the police putting the time in yeah. and just taking her word for it. No, yeah, no, and I, I think. this a stupid bag for doing that part. Wesley basically said, like, the only time that his mom was ever free was as a child before she met Miles and when he died. And so she's fighting for her own freedom. And while it might yeah. not be in the right way, um, you can appreciate that she is just trying to live a peaceful life and make up for lost time that she hasn't had. Well, yeah, and she, I can only imagine how much time she feels like she's lost with even her children mm-hmm. being stressed and walking on eggshells and not being able to just be, like, this kind, caring mom. I like because, for the, yeah. She's just been under, like, his thumb. Yeah, like, for the first time in however long, she's able to just kind of, like, go to work and come home and live this normal, peaceful existence. Like, sit down, watch yeah. TV, have dinner, just live a normal, regular routine life. And do things without having to report to someone, because she said as well, like, she couldn't go into town and have, a, like, she couldn't go into town without coming home and being drilled for hours about who she spoke to and what she did. She very rarely went out without him or spoke to anybody without him present. Um, it's just, yeah, it's very classic uh, abuse. Over the next six years, Helen worked at a number of jobs, including crop production services, driving a truck that delivered liquid fertilizer. A co-worker there said that Helen told her her husband had just, quote, up and disappeared, and also that he drank a lot and abused her when he drank. This co-worker had heard about Miles from local farmers who had confirmed that Helen had it pretty rough. Okay. Wes and Neil both kept the family secret. However, in August of 2017, their middle son, Daryl, started to talk. No, not Daryl. Yeah. So he kind of started to let it slip to people that he knew, like friends and acquaintances, that Helen and Neil had killed his father and hid the body. He broke the pact. That's not even a little bit of information. That's just like... Yeah. He just kind of started to word vomit. And several of those people ended up relaying the information to the cameras police. So somebody called a tip in and was basically like, hey, uh, this guy just told me that these two people killed his dad. You see something, say something that goes for if you hear it as well. Yeah. It's better to call it in and get it looked into and it be nothing than to not call it in and it be something and you missed out on that big tip. So one or two people call in the tip and Daryl provides a formal statement to the RCMP on August 31st, 2017. Okay. Investigators (laughs) execute a search warrant of the farm on September 1st, 2017 that lasted for 13 days in search of evidence of a crime. Nearly six years to the day of Miles' death, the RCMP underwater recovery team, or the dive team as they're commonly known, from BC mm-hmm. located partially decomposed human remains and guns um, at the bottom of a swamp during the property search. 
and an excavation crew located and dug up Miles's car that was uh, buried behind the shop. Good Food is Canada's number one meal kit service that delivers right to your door. Good Food makes cooking fun, easy, and affordable. They offer different meal plans to fit your needs like vegetarian, clean 15, easy prep, and the most popular basket, the classic basket. Every recipe is packed with fresh produce that comes directly from farmers and with good food. You can skip the trip to the grocery store and have everything you need to make your curated meals delivered straight to your door. Sign up for good food today using the code free podcast by proxy to get your first classic box for free. That's free podcast by proxy when creating your good food account to get a classic box on us. Hi friends, if you like what you hear and you want to get even more content from us, we're officially live on Patreon. Patreon is a subscription service where you can get early access to our regular episodes, get bonus episodes, live Q&A sessions, and more. Visit the link in this episode description to learn more and sign up. You can also follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and TikTok at Podcast by Proxy. Katie and I are so appreciative of every single one of you for being here with us. If you want to support us even more, don't forget to hit the follow button wherever you're listening and leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Growing the show means we will be able to invest more time into bringing you more stories like the one you're hearing today. His room, or the remains, sorry, were then sent to Edmonton for autopsy. I'm not sure why they sent them all the way to Edmonton, but they were sent to Edmonton for autopsy and the autopsy confirmed... Was he from Edmonton? Sorry? Oh, I guess because that, that could be where like all his medical been, and dental records are. I guess that would have been the closest. You know what? I think I got confused when I was writing this because it was a BC RCMP underwater recovery team. So then when it was like, oh, the autopsy was in Edmonton, I was like, why? But yeah, it makes sense because they live in our because we have like the coastal team as yeah. well. So like we have the like the dive yeah. team. And I mean, our dive team just went to the scene. We didn't bring the lake here. Yeah, and um, Holden is only like an hour outside of Edmonton, so it completely makes sense that the autopsy would have been done there. So anyways, I'm just an idiot. We we got there, people. Yeah, we did. We got there. The autopsy did confirm the re- remains belonged to Miles Nasland, and the cause of death was listed as two gunshot wounds to the head. Um, they did find the two spent bullets inside his brain tissue. Well, that's lucky yeah helen and neil both turned themselves in on september 7th 2017 at the request of the rcmp and were both charged at the time with first degree murder and indignity to human remains wes was also charged with one count of accessory after the fact however this charge was later stayed on september 13th 2018 On March 19th, 2020, 58-year-old Helen pled guilty to manslaughter for the death of her husband, Miles Nasland. As a part of her guilty plea, her son, Neil, was able to plead guilty to indignity to human remains only, and he was sentenced to three years in prison. I think that's a reasonable offer, considering he wasn't even there when the murder part took place. Correct. He was sleeping. She informed him after. Yeah. Yeah. At Court of Queen's bench, Justice Sterling Sanderman, which is an amazing name, but not as much an amazing of a judge, accepted both the guilty pleas. You'll find out why I said that in a little bit. Okay. Yeah, I was like, I don't don't have anything to say to that. Sterling Sanderman, such a great name, though. I'm obsessed. 
Honestly, his whole title just sounded like too much of a mouthful. Court of Queens Bench Justice Sterling Sanderman. That's what I want to be in my next lifetime. Just that. We will not be friends because I won't remember your name. <laughs> Truth. Um, so, of course, because this is a guilty plea, there is no trial. So sentencing for Helen occurred on October 30th, 2020, and the Crown Prosecutor Dallas Sopko, together with Helen's defense lawyer, Darren Sprake, presented what they called a true joint sentencing submission, and it recommended an 18-year sentence, which, by the way, is outrageously long for manslaughter. That's the longest known sentence in Canada ever for manslaughter. The average overall and longest recorded for domestic abuse cases is 10 years. I was going to say seven years. Yeah. Yeah. 10 years is average overall for manslaughter and the longest recorded in a domestic abuse case. That's, yeah. And And again, that's where I was saying, like, I can see a self-defense element to this for, like, long-term and quality of life. Mm Mm-hmm. She knew no matter what she did, if he was alive and she tried to leave, he would kill her. That's the end of the story. Yeah. So her lawyer never really argued that her history of abuse was a mitigating factor to be considered. I mean, he literally submitted a joint sentencing submission with the prosecutor's office. Like, was he on her side? We're not really sure. Hey, do you want to make this a group project? Like, what? Um, super rare, by the way, which I will go into. That's really rare uh, to be presented and really, really rare to be accepted at face value. Um, her okay. lawyer said that he, quote, struggled to include the battered women defense, uh, battered women syndrome in her defense. <laughs> How? I'm Where's not Where's sure. the struggle? Not sure where the, the struggle, struggle is The struggle is not real in this, buddy. Mm-hmm. You don't get it. Yeah. So in his ruling accepting the 18-year recommendation, Justice Sterling Sanderman called the murder a, quote, callous, cowardly act on a vulnerable victim in his own home. He also listed... That's the a- only moment of peace that woman gets. Yeah, vulnerable victim. So like, I get he's sleeping, but come on. Wait, sorry, what is this guy's first name? Because I'm trying to figure out the Naslin connection again. Miles. Miles, okay. Justice Sanderman listed aggravating factors for the sentence length, such as indignities done to the body and the fact that the police were sent on a wild goose chase looking for Miles as a missing person. In his sentencing ruling, he too did not mention the nearly 30 years of abuse that Helen had suffered, and he also said, quote, when counsel tell me they feel this is fair, I agree with them. So, yeah. I mean, okay. That's not really your job. Your job is to, like, weigh the evidence and determine if you feel it's fair, not to determine if, if yeah, I don't, I'm just gonna But still, even on. that, like, how? I know. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Helen has been housed at the Edmonton Institute for Women since January of 2020. Her oldest son, Wes, said that Helen wanted to protect Neil from jail time, which is why she took this deal. Um... I think we can argue it isn't much of a deal, but he said, quote, if she took the deal, Neil would only get a few years as an accessory. They held his life and time over her head to get her to take the deal. 
Yeah, it was nothing about her time being that it was a deal. The deal was all for him. Yeah. So they essentially just took the sentence they wanted to give him and put it on that. This 18-year sentence sparked outrage amongst the community and the country, particularly amongst domestic violence groups in Canada. A petition was organized. Thought it might. Mm -hmm. A petition was organized by Women Who Choose to Live, which is a grassroots advocacy group for women like Helen who face legal consequences for defending themselves against male violence. Ooh, I like that. The petition called on Alberta's Attorney General to intervene in her case and received over 26,000 signatures when all was said and done. Elizabeth A. Sheely is the author of the book Defending Women on Trial, which covers the trials of 11 women in Canada, 10 of whom killed their husbands in the 15 years since the Supreme Court of Canada's decision, Lavalie, ruled that evidence of battered women syndrome was admissible in establishing self-defense for women accused of killing their abusive partners. Hmm. The Lavalie decision was the case of Angelique Lynn Lavalie, who suffered abuse at the hands of her common-law partner, Kevin Rust, for years. Uh, a complete sidebar that Kevin Rust went by the name Rooster. That's just, <laughs> I, I couldn't leave that out. You cock, you. Yeah. Without going too much into this, um, it is a case that I could cover in the future. It set huge legal precedent in the country, um, but I will just briefly overview. So, basically... One night, they had friends over, and again, like, he had been abusing her for years. Angelique shot Kevin after he chased her out into the streets and was telling her he was going to kill her when everyone left and that she'd have to kill him first if she wanted to live. A jury ended up acquitting her. However, the Crown appealed to the Manitoba Court of Appeal. The Court of Appeal agreed that self-defense should not be warranted, and the case was then sent to the Supreme Court of Canada. In a ground what? Yeah. In a groundbreaking decision that changed the law for women all over Canada, Madam Justice Bertha Wilson delivered a unanimous decision by the Supreme Court and disagreed with the Manitoba Court of Appeal. The acquittal was restored, and this officially marked that battered wife syndrome, or battered women's syndrome, as it is more commonly known, was a legitimate defense to murder. Until this decision, anyone who intentionally caused a death or grievous bodily harm in repelling an assault was legally justified if he or she did so under reasonable apprehension of death or grievous bodily harm. Although this section okay. of the criminal code does not provide that the accused person must be in imminent danger when they act, this requirement was assumed by judicial interpretation in a series of cases. So basically at this point it was assumed that this section of the criminal code meant that you had to be in immediate or like imminent danger when the self-defense act occurs. Like, he has to be attacking you in real time for you to fight back for it to be self-defense. That's correct. Prior to. Yeah. So, in this case, Madam Wilson explained that while this type of requirement makes sense in most cases and ensures the use of defensive force was, like, absolutely necessary, a unique set of rules must apply in the case of a battered spouse, such as psychiatric testimony, as in the case of Miss Lavely. 
She also said that, quote, it is not for the jury to pass judgment on the fact that an accused battered woman stayed in the relationship. Still less is it entitled to conclude that she forfeited her right to self-defense for having done so. Okay. So this decision set a huge precedent. Uh, It allowed self-defense to be used in the case of a battered spouse that wasn't necessarily acting on an immediate imminent danger um, and more like a systemic long-term... A foreseeable outcome. That too, yes. Yeah, Mm -hmm. okay. And and she also, I don't have this written down, but she also kind of... explain that like uh when you're in a situation like that your brain can't actually see a different outcome your only outcome to freedom is that act um and so while a reasonable person or somebody under reasonable circumstances might not go straight to that as their only option a the battered women syndrome defense argues that basically women uh, in those kind of abusive situations, cannot see any other way out. I think it's completely understandable. Yeah. So Elizabeth Sheely studied 11 cases involving battered women in the 15 years since that decision was made, and she wrote the book about her findings. She teamed up with retired Judge Lynn Ratushny to write an opinion piece in the Edmonton Journal about Helen's case and how the justice system had failed her and failed women in general. They basically questioned the entire handling of the case from the onset of Helen's arrest, stating, In Naslin's acknowledged circumstances of having killed in response to repeated and severe violence against her, Why did the Crown decide that its original charge of first-degree murder was a proper exercise of its prosecutorial discretion? Former Judge Lynn Ratushny then states that basically the crushing weight of a murder charge frequently deters battered women from going to trial and airing their legitimate self-defense claims. Um, This is especially true when children are involved. So she was therefore recommending that prosecutors actually start with a a charge of manslaughter and not murder when they're willing to accept a manslaughter plea to make it less terrifying to actually go to trial and properly defend yourself. Tell your story. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think if you can justify that the sentence matches your crime, you're more willing to also just take the risk of putting yourself out there. The opinion piece also questioned why Helen's original defense lawyer did not think battered women's syndrome would apply in her case. It argued that at the very least, evidence of the abuse she suffered should have been a strong mitigating factor, reducing her degree of moral blameworthiness for the killing and therefore be factored into her sentence. I agree. Yes, I strongly agree. I was shocked when you said that her lawyer was like, uh, nah. Right? Yeah. She did not have adequate representation or somebody that was on her side. She, um, I mean, imagine her sitting there and it's like, you either accept this or your son goes to jail for the next 20 years. He has a young family of his own now and you're sitting there and it's like literally just you against three men. Well, and regardless, you're probably going to get the same sentence if they're already this annoying. The judge... The judge, the prosecutor, and your defense lawyer who's clearly not properly defending you. And the judge who's basically just being like, oh yeah, these two guys are good. Do you know if she had a public defender or a paid lawyer? I don't know. By chance? 
I'm not sure. Mm. Not that it matters. I just be kind of, I was curious. Either way, you can like you can look at that situation and and kind of see you deserve to that once again she counsel. was just helpless. Yeah. Yeah. Poor woman. Uh, so this opinion piece also questioned Judge Sanderson, the sentencing judge, for referring to the use of a firearm as an aggravating factor during sentencing. Basically, they pointed out that women usually cannot kill with their hands. And they said, but men can. They do strangle women to death and they do beat them to death. Um, she also said, and so if a woman is going to defend her life, a weapon is often her only opportunity to do so. So they basically questioned mm-hmm. that the use of a firearm was taken as an aggravating factor for sentencing because it's like, well, what else would she have used to defend herself? Women shoot or poison because it's like not close up and it's at a safe distance mm-hmm. because we know we're smaller. She, he argued, that if a woman receives a more severe sentence because she used a firearm to kill an abusive partner, it should be clear how, why, and guns were in the home, and it should also be made clear if they were ever used against the woman herself. Agreed, because we know they were. Yeah. Those have actually a very interesting um, piece to read. I did link it in the show notes, of course, because it's a reference for this episode. All of our references, anything we read, are always listed below. Um, But it was an interesting read, so if you're into that kind of stuff. I also did pull some domestic violence statistics in Canada, because of course I did. (laughs) Nationally, Canada's crime rate has decreased by more than one-third since 1998. Between 2008 and 2018, the volume and severity of violent crime declined by 13%. However, police-reported sexual assaults have been increasing over the last five years. The federal incarceration rate for women is also rising, and Indigenous women make up only 4% of the general population, but as we've talked about before, they do account for 42% of women in Canadian prisons and uh, 45% of women sentenced to life in prison. This makes them not only the fastest growing group in Canadian prisons, but also the most overrepresented. And they also one of the like highest number of missing women as well percentage wise yes yeah they're a they're a very small group for how high their stats are in terms of their involvement in these categories and it's scary four percent of the general population four so yeah that's that's yeah it's it's insane Between 2007 and 2011, a woman's risk of being killed by a legally separated spouse was nearly six times higher than the risk from a legally married spouse, which helps when answering the age-old question that is, of course, outdated at this point of why didn't she leave? An interesting fact about domestic violence and the impact that COVID-19 specifically lockdowns has had Before COVID-19, a woman in Canada was killed by her intimate partner approximately once every six days. In 2020, 160 women and girls were killed, which works out to one every 2.3 days. In 143 cases where the killer was identified, 90% of them were men. Mm -hmm. Another factor specific to Helen's case... um, Rural isolation is a factor. Uh, it's considered a risk factor in domestic violence, and research suggests yeah. that rural 
rule. That's a really hard word to say, by the rural? way. Rural. Rural. Uh, Reese's search. Ugh, I'm having a hard time talking. Out in the country. Research suggests that rural women may be 50% more likely than urban women to face domestic violence uh, because they experience unique barriers such as geographic isolation, the presence of firearms, and prioritizing the farm above their own health, which I think we could say all applied in this case. Yes. Check, check, check. Yeah. In February of 2021, the Canadian Association of Elizabeth Fry Societies released a report on Canada's federal prisons for women in which participants described their experiences of sexual and physical abuse and how they led to their incarceration. To quote one woman, women in prison can be victim, victim, victim to abuse their whole life and then they finally react. She finally says enough and now she's in jail. Uh, another woman simply said, after years of abuse, I snapped. Yeah, and it's so dumb because the courts and people out there are like, but if you had said something, we could have done something, you wouldn't have, it wouldn't have gotten to this. It's it doesn't like, you work don't like get that. It. it doesn't work like that. No. Jan Reamer, who is the executive director of the Alberta Council of Women's Shelters, says that the Canadian justice system remains more focused on and accustomed to immediate acts of crime. Uh, so unlike homicide, theft, assault, uh, domestic violence doesn't happen over a single event. He argues that it is repetitive and cumulative. It's about escalating control over another human being. Physical violence is usually accompanied by mental and emotional abuse, wild accusations about infidelity, for example, or smashing dishes because they have macaroni on them, like the most minuscule things. This leads abused mm -hmm. women and girls to make decisions about their safety in a way that's almost inexplicable to somebody outside their relationship. So that's kind of what we were talking about before, that whole, like, you just don't see another route out. Yeah. No, 100%. It makes sense what they're saying. Yeah. He that also... That's literally the only option. Because if he is alive, you have no other option. Exactly. He will find you. A restraining order isn't going to stop him. No, which we've seen time and time again. So also to quote Jen Reamer, um, when you live in an abusive relationship year after year, your self-worth is destroyed. Now you're frightened all the time. And it has such... A significant impact on your children that often isn't well understood by our court system mm -hmm. so of course all this outrage uh helen has a lot of people backing her and saying this is wrong like this sentence is completely outrageous on February 25th, 2021, Helen asked the Alberta Court of Appeal to review her sentence in an official file of appeal. The notice made Good. three main arguments. That the sentence brought the administration of justice into disrepute, that it was contrary to the public interest, and that it was the result of coercive plea bargaining. The notice also argues that Justice Sanderman failed to consider the domestic abuse that she endured, this appeal case would be especially difficult because, as I mentioned before, um, a joint sentencing submission is rare. A joint sentencing submission accepted at face value by a judge is even more rare. And overturning a sentence like that would be the most rare of them all. God, I hope it happens. 
June of 2021, three Court of Appeal justices, Justice Thomas Wakeling. Oh, yeah, we have a decision. No, I'm just saying that's, like, very recent. I mean, you said it was a recent appeal, but I didn't realize it was just, like, within the year. The decision was made last month. Oh, my God. Okay. Yeah. Hit me with it. June of 2021, three Court of Appeal justices, Justice Thomas Wakeling, Justice Kevin Feehan, and Justice Sheila Greckel heard arguments for and against a sentence reduction by the Crown and Helen's new defense attorney, Mona Duckett. So by the Crown and by her new defense attorney. I feel like that didn't come out right. Um, I've, I've been talking for so I'm many hours. You're putting down. We are recording a couple today because we both have like trips and stuff to do. So if my words don't make sense anymore, it's because my like brain mouth chemistry is just. Cannot it's, compute. It's, it's gone. Yeah. It's, it's going. It's completely left. We're losing it, people. Left the house, lost the plot. Uh, yeah. Anyways. So her new lawyer was phenomenal. She argued that Sanderman erred calling the crime a callous, cowardly act on a vulnerable victim in his own home. Duckett also pointed out that the process by which Helen was originally sentenced to 18 years appeared to have been sifted through a, quote, gendered lens. She argued that women's violence toward their abusers continues to be examined through a male-focused framework that does not accurately reflect the dynamics of these relationships where women continually live at significant risk of femicide. Courts are beginning to take notice of the staggering number of women killed by male intimate partners, of the dangerous environments in which those women live. Those factors properly inform women's moral culpability when they act to survive. Mm -hmm. Mic drop, girl. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I get that they can both be snap decisions to happen, but you have to look at why that snap decision happened. This isn't just, oh, my wife was always bitching at me to, like, do the dishes and I snapped. Yeah. Which we've heard. And that's ridiculous and senseless. Yeah. I think Having your life threatened on a day-to-day basis at gunpoint and assaulted constantly, I think your mindset is so broken and you're not even yourself that it's hard to say what you'd be even thinking. I think the statement when they act to survive is perfect. I think that really puts like a bow yeah. on the entire, uh, the entire thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, this, of course, occurred in June of 2021, and they sat on that for a while. Last month, on January 14th, 2022, uh, which is, of course, why it was in the news a ton, and then we had a listener reach out and say, like, hey, you might want to take a look at this. It's it's becoming a hot topic in Alberta. Very current. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> January 14th, 2022, Justice Sheila Greckel, so the single woman on the appeal panel, wrote the decision for the panel in a two-to-one decision agreeing to reduce Helen's sentence from 18 years to nine. She wrote that the original 18-year sentence was, quote, so unhinged from the circumstances of the offense and the offender that its acceptance would lead reasonable and informed persons to believe that the proper functioning of the justice system had broken down. Justice Greckel also points out that the way the original sentence was pieced together failed on many levels, including the 
the Crown's total failure to identify battered women syndrome and 27 years of what she called egregious abuse as mitigating factors, its decontextualized compilation of six aggravating factors, and its failure to provide any rationale to explain or provide case law to justify the unprecedented sentence. She then finds that the sentencing judge applied the wrong test in assessing the propriety of the joint submission and that he erred because he did not apply the public interest test. This part is one of my favorites. She also wrote in her decision that the total joint submission sent in by Helen's lawyer and the Crown prosecutor uh, and the judge basically saying, like, if they say this is good, I have no reason to argue was a form of male bonding. Oh, lovely. I love that statement because, yeah, that's 100% it. It was just a bunch of dudes being like, yeah, you good? Yeah, you yeah. good? Yeah, we're yeah, good. Yeah, you good? Yeah, uh-huh. Justice Wakeling. High five at the end and I'll walk away. Yeah. yeah. Um, of course, it was a two-to-one decision and Justice Wakeling provided a lengthy dissent, raising concerns about the applicability of the battered women defense as as it was not pursued by her original lawyer. I mean, you're not overturning her sentence and taking it away. You're just making it a bit more reasonable within the confines of the regular law. Exactly. You're not saying she didn't do something wrong. You're just not like an 18 year sentence. You're just giving her an appropriate sentence to the crime she actually committed. Correct. The Uh, crime that she was found guilty of. Yes. There's always got to be someone who disagrees. Helen's lawyer, Mona Duckett, said in an email that she believes the decision will benefit other survivors of domestic violence who find themselves in conflict with the law. She said, quote, it points out the incredible societal problem of domestic abuse. We must recognize the dangerous lived circumstances of abused women, the risk of femicide they constantly face, and the reasons that they sometimes kill to survive. I have one last note about this case, and then we are done. From prison... Helen wrote a letter to those who have supported her appeal and her story. She writes, quote, I am incredibly grateful to the justices who reduced my sentence and to the many people in Canada and elsewhere who supported me through this difficult experience. I hope that other women can benefit from the court's recognition of the terrible situation in which battered women find themselves. That is the story of Helen Nasland. I liked it. Think. And then her last statement was just so much like, I went through this, so hopefully other wo- women won't. Yeah. And I just love that sentiment to it. Mm-hmm. Also, no re- no relation to Marcus Nazan. Ah, oh, too bad. Shucks. Yeah. I do feel like a sentence of nine years is still high. That's my personal opinion about the situation. Um, But it is more in line with a normal sentence for manslaughter. So I am... I am happy that the court overturned that sentence and saw that it was outrageous. I honestly mm-hmm. still believe that six, that nine is high, but that's me. You might think that it's not enough, and that's okay, too. Um, I mean, me personally, I still think it's high. However, I do think there's an amazing amount of pressure on a resentencing trial and so many eyes on you mm-hmm. that providing a half-term sentence is usually a fairly appropriate adjustment so i think that that could also be taken into account given that it was just a direct like cut in half right 
Yeah. So I wonder if that was also something that was played into it. Like, okay, we agree with you. So we'll meet you halfway. We'll cut your sentence in half. If it was from that standpoint, then I totally agree with it. And like realistically, a nine year sentence with. uh, Because how many years had she already done? Two years. So, So with time served, that would be seven. And then. Like a nine-year sentence with good behavior in Canada, you are not really ever going to serve. Seven and a half? What? She'd probably be on, what, seven and a half? Yeah, realistically, you don't normally, if you have good behavior and all that, you wouldn't serve more than 60% of your sentence. So that would be about five and a half or six years. So with time served, I mean, she's looking at another four years in jail, let's say. Three or four years. If she gets out early. And you know what? Three or four years of just pause and reset after the life she's had and what she's gone through might not be the worst of things. I know she did make a statement basically saying that, like, she just doesn't feel like she belongs there. She's in, she's incarcerated mm-hmm. with people who have done some really, really nasty shit for their whole life. And she just doesn't feel like she belongs in that setting. But, you know, when she serves her sentence, she, she gets out, she will be free. She will be free for the first time in her life. And she can, you know, carry on being a grandmother. She has grandkids now and she can hopefully, um, you know start to be happy for once in her life so i have high hopes um i'm glad that the justice system worked in this case and it's just a very sad case all around because i don't i don't believe that somebody necessarily deserves to die because they're shitty um but i also a hundred percent am on the side of like women who have been battered for that long truly feel like they don't have an option and so it's a difficult yeah. one but yeah it is i don't think unless you're in the circumstance too you know how you no be thinking or what you would think your out is or how you think you'd handle it because we're all different and again we also need that other half of the piece of the puzzle which is the partner and you don't know who they are so i don't think any of us can speak to just oh why didn't you walk away or why didn't you do something it's like oh fuck off yeah Yep. It's like when you're anxious and someone's like, why don't you just think about something else? It's like, oh, you don't think I've tried that? Or like, don't worry. Why are you being so worried? It's like, oh, thanks. Drink some water. Take a deep breath. (laughs) It's not that big a deal. You're like, cool, tell that to my brain. Yeah. Well, uh, we're going to go, but thank you for listening today. As always, you can follow us on Instagram at Podcast by Proxy. You can follow us on Twitter at Podcast by Proxy. You can basically follow us anywhere at Podcast by Proxy. You can send us a Gmail if you're feeling so inclined, podcastbyproxy at gmail.com. We both are going to be... I guess in the middle of this, we're going to, when this goes up, we're going to be like in the middle of both of us being on vacations and traveling in and out, yeah, being in and out. So if we're less active on social media this month, it's not because we've gone anywhere. Well, actually, that's not true. We have physically gone somewhere, but like, not because we care less. In terms of this podcast, we haven't gone anywhere. We just have a little bit going on in our own lives (laughs) and we won't be able to post as much. Uh, I'm saying that for me personally because I do most of our social media posting and I have a busy I'm, I'm I got I got places to go people to see um so yeah we still love you we will be back to regularly scheduled 
posting and things like that. Um, yeah. We'll see you soon. Love you. Bye. Bye. I'll call you soon. Okay. Okay. Bye. 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 How do I stop this shit? I'll stop it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Fuck me.